Hey guys and welcome to today's episode of Give It The Beans. As always, wherever you are in the world, I hope that you're well. The 2023 season for Prep Coach UK clients is officially over. That was um, the case of last weekend. Had Fabian go in um, the Two Bros Natty show um, and he did incredibly well. Came second in True Novice and then third in his open height. But that really concludes for uh, for me what's been the most memorable um, season that there could ever be. You know, the most successful I've ever had to date as a prep coach. And the fact that it was the first the first year that Prep Coach UK has been a brand is has been phenomenal. We end up finishing with a hundred and three top threes, you know, fifty-two of them being firsts. 35 being seconds and only 16 being thirds. Long story short, that gives us 85% of all the total results that we got are in the top two, which is pretty mad, knowing that like when your clients go into a show, you know they're the worst they're probably going to do. 85% of the time is second. It's pretty crazy. Um, it's been such a memorable season and it's been full of, of course, like you know, amazing memories, but also some tough losses. But I think those tough losses have been part of what's made it such a great season. Some tough losses that then clients have have taken on board, and then they've went away and got a win or an overall the next day. And that's been something that's been truly incredible to be part of. Because obviously, I went to, I think it was twenty two or twenty three shows this year. Next year's probably set to be a little bit more, and. More, more shows abroad as well but going to all those shows is for me is what's made this season so memorable and I know a lot of the results we probably wouldn't have done as quite well as if I hadn't went and saw like right well that's what we looked on the Saturday so I want to change how we look on the Sunday or you know what that federation wanted etc etc it was um, it's pretty cool really cool and um, I'm sure I'll continue to ramble on about it on my Instagram stories and whatnot for a while but I've already said, you know, a massive thank you to each and every one of the the clients that that allowed me to to put you on stage this year, help me um, be part of your journey. It was um, still truly awesome to wake up um, every day and do what I do and call it work. You know, when I'm at shows and I see clients winning and whatnot, I have to remind myself that this is work when it doesn't feel like it. The only time my job feels like work is the driving. <laughs> you, you know what I mean. Um, and that's actually usually pretty cool because there's always a few clients in the car anyway but um, enough about this year uh, and more on uh, today's episode which is training to failure versus RIR and there's been a I think probably like a huge debate in the industry the past I'm going to say three years about this and what is right and what is wrong Um I feel it's kind of calmed calm down now. Uh, really, th- this past um, year, you don't really hear many people argue as much about it as um, you used to. You might still do. Um, I might just be uh, alien to the noise now, but I don't hear it as much as I heard it. Um, you know, 20... Even, even going back further than that, 2019, 2020, 2021, uh, you know, fuck, when lockdown's happening, people had nothing else to do but argue, didn't they? But let's um, let's lay it out for people that don't know what I'm talking about. 
train into failure. What does that mean? Let's say, for example, you have an exercise such as a um, like a hack squat, and your your rep range is six to eight. If you're training to failure, what that means is that you should fail. You should be unable to do another rep past eight reps. So as you do number eight, there's no way you can do nine, and you know you take it there and you you fail that rep or. You just literally need a spot on rep number eight, which meaning that, you know, you only got seven, really. And then you would know, let's say that was 100 kilos, for an example, and, you know, seven reps, that was true failure. Well, what reps in reserve would mean, and let's say, for example, someone had programmed in two RIR, is if somebody knew then, like, right, I know 100 kilos, I get seven reps, well, I want to leave two in the tank, so I'm only going to do five. And you may think, well, uh, what's the point in that? And here's here's the, the arguments for, or this podcast will be the arguments for both and the arguments against both. Then I'm going to kind of give you my take on it all. And then I'm going to, well, it's up for you guys to, decide what you um what you should so choose to to want to follow and believe but what I'll say before before I talk about any of them is that when you get married to uh, an idea or indoctrined into a certain way of thinking you often become quite dogmatic in your ways and you you just stop getting better um and the reason I could say that is that I used to be like that, believe it or not, with many things. You know, my early one-to-one PD, PT days, um, it was, you had, had to be done a certain way or it was wrong. And I guess I just needed to mature a little bit as a, as a person um, and obviously as, as a trainer to, to become better. And the more I, I was open to other ideas, the, the better I got, the better results I got. So um, people say... Training to failure is what you absolutely must do. Now, they'll use examples like of JP, uh, of Ronnie Coleman, and some of the old school guys that literally train till their fucking nose is bleeding and stuff like that. Now, is that a good way of training? Well, I mean, it's what built me my physique. I always trained to failure. That was my, uh, you know, give it the beans or get in the bin. That was one of my <laughs> one of my trademark sayings. Um and like I was very much influenced by Jordan Peters in 2016, 2017 as, as so many people were and that just became like, I just trained like that and that became my way of training it's what I enjoyed doing when I went into the gym so then when reps and reserve came around um, you know I'll admit like I was a bit sceptical about it too and I was like this is a lot of fucking shite stop me in a pussy and all that jazz um, but that's because it was different and do us human beings not fear change? We do, right? We fear what's different. We don't like change. We like me personally. I like routine. My wife will tell you the minute I change something, um, it takes me a while to get accustomed to it, and then all of a sudden I like it. So for me, it, it was more of an enjoyment thing. I trained to failure because I loved knowing that I could beat myself from the previous week. I could, that that feeling of getting stronger was 
when I ended the set and physically couldn't do any more, that was my justification of like, right, this is where the set ends, and this is where I need to get stronger. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I've not done reps in reserve to this day. Uh, I don't train like near as hard as I used to because I'm just trying to maintain. I still train hard, but I don't go as you know balls to the wall as I used to. But um, I remember when I was working with Callum. Um, for a while from 2019 till 2021 and you know when it came about and he started programming for his clients I went look I'm just telling you like I'm not I'm not doing that and call that uh you know um one one track thinking or whatever it, it, looking back it wasn't it was just I, I knew what I enjoyed and I knew I built my physique but here's the thing look across the industry look at every show every other week not everybody trains that way, right? Some people do train reps in reserve. And some people will always leave a couple in the tank. And they'll still have amazing physiques because their genetic potential and propensity to grow is higher. So what's the benefits of training to failure versus the benefits of training to reps in reserve? The benefits of training to failure is that it's fairly easy to know when you have to stop. Right? When you physically can't do the move anymore, you need to get help to do the movement. One of the negatives could be that just it does fucking elicit a lot of fatigue. And I think back to some of the early days, like the stuff I used to do in the hack squat, like I was fucked for the rest of the week after it. But I was okay with that, right? My central nervous system was fucked, but I was right with that because that's just how I wanted to live at the time. Um, the benefits as well is that you don't have to do many sets. One or two true ones on some big movements will we'll, we'll get you there. Females maybe a bit, a bit more. But yeah, for me it was the enjoyment factor. Um, the positives are the, the pros for reps and reserve. It's not as taxing on the central nervous system. Don't get me wrong, like, leaving two reps in the tank or three reps in the tank, it's still difficult. Um, but it's not as taxing on the central nervous system, right? So you get away with doing maybe perhaps a little bit more. Um, the, the, the drawbacks, really, is I feel particularly in amateur bodybuilding not many people know what true failure is. Like if you've never ever trained to failure and you only know reps in reserve, I guarantee you've not made near as much progress as you could make um, because you don't know what a true failure set's like. You need to feel what it's like to be trying to push up out of the bottom of a hack squat and the weight just goes, nah, and it just pushes you back down. Once you know that and you know your limits, then I think reps and reserve could probably be a great way of training. But let me take you back to Mr. Jordan Peters, who, again, one of the biggest influences on my bodybuilding career. Um, and I'll always be truly grateful and thankful for that, although I don't really know the guy. He doesn't know me. Um, he tried it, didn't he? He did. He uh, tried it in... I want to say it was 2020, 2021. And he tried it for about a month. And the reason he tried it is because he didn't think he'd get any stronger. Because um, he's a big, big dude, you know. He's not that tall, but he's probably one of the most muscular humans I've ever seen in my life. So he tried it because he was getting injured on that all the time. And then he binned it off after four weeks because he thought it was shit. Now, it's not that it's shit. He just didn't enjoy it. And again, that's what this all boils down to, isn't it? Rather than think that one modality is better than the other. I want you to 
think that, and here's my take on it. I go to a lot of shows, and I see guys and girls place every single week, week in, week out. And here's the common theme between them all. They all train really fucking hard, right? Some take it to the absolute death, and some don't. And the ones that don't, maybe don't call it reps in reserve. They just don't go to true failure, but they still grow incredibly well. So then you think that if you have one group of individuals going to failure and one group that's not, and they're still growing well, what makes one modality better than the other? It doesn't. But what you've kind of seen the past three years, I suppose, is you've seen an army of perhaps skinny-ish bodybuilders or people that haven't went anywhere in the bodybuilding scene but are incredibly successful chuck about studies that say, oh, well, you know, um, this many reps in reserve um, elicited this much muscle growth in this um, this study. And a lot of those studies have a little bit of holes in them in regards to maybe like the population that the study's on. Like, the, the study's not on, you know, 30-year-old male bodybuilders that take a bunch of gear. The study's maybe done on um, elderly individuals. The study's maybe done on for, uh, people that are in their first year of lifting, blah, blah, blah. You have to take the studies with a pinch of salt, right? What I truly believe, um, being a man of science and being someone that's in the sport as well, that's at shows week in, week out, is that there's not much difference in some, uh, you know, in someone that stops a couple reps shy versus someone that doesn't. There's not much difference in regards to how much muscle growth that elicits. I think that we can all come to a consensus that you have to train to close proximity of failure and if that's failure for you because you enjoy it absolutely crack on do that for you if that's just stopping shy by a couple reps because that's all, all all you've ever done do it do it and then don't train a failure years ago not too long ago i used to i used to put down reps in reserve right but instead of putting it down anymore i'm just like right well i don't do it i don't program in it but I think a lot of people do it, they just don't know. Like, I think a lot of people train what they think is failure, and it's not really, but it's always a couple less. And you see loads of examples of that. And here's the thing, do you remember, if you were, if you remember JP's site a long time ago, 2017, 2018, he trained with Phil Heath in frontline performance. And him and Oscar were training at the same time as Phil was training. And JP asked him, JP's like, do you log your lifts? And Phil was like, no. And he was like, it's all up here in his head. And he says, if it's up there, they can't steal it. And JP kind of laughed. And I think that for me, looking back, it was a great example that it didn't all have to be done a certain way. You know, the, the best bodybuilder, uh, multiple time winner of Miss Olympia, I think seven times, I think, um, didn't logbook his lifts. And he certainly didn't train to failure. He did a lot of high volume stuff um, versus what JP and Oscar were doing. And it just kind of shows that like, no, I don't feel there's one one modality better than the other in that sense. I think that anyone that says otherwise is trying to sell you an idea. Sometimes like the, the, uh, the, the idea of just training hard doesn't appeal to some people and they want to be sold something in fancy packaging 
that's fancily wrapped or said in a certain way, when really the nuts and bolts of any physique that's really good is training very hard. You know, and training hard, it's not sexy. You can't package it in fancy wrapping paper. It's just a case of going in, getting the job done, and and that's that, really. Anyone that says otherwise, trying to sell you something. I don't care if it's an ebook. I don't care if it's coaching. I think it's great to have videos um, that discuss the differences in both and how someone can maybe apply themselves in a reps and reserve manner or in a, in a failure manner. But I think that there's no there's no right and wrong. Like the older I get in this industry, right, or the more I'm in this industry, as long as the older I get, like the less fancy I've got with things used to be all about banding machines and coffee machines and all that and still do a little bit of that with clients but not as much as I used to I place much emphasis on it with some guys that have no interest in blood work I don't run much anymore and I'll run some with the guys that do care um, it's it's about coaching the individual isn't it and it's like Chris, I had Christian on and we spoke about this and he said he has clients that train reps and reserve and he has clients that train to failure it's about what you prefer, but just what built me my physique over the years that I did well in shows with was training to failure. And when you look at some of the big, big guys, like let's say Greg, Greg Taylor, he's a great example. He's so big. JP's so big because they've trained a certain way. But they do get injured quite a bit. And that's where maybe one of the drawbacks is when you get to a certain point where you're so strong, you maybe have to then think about changing it, changing it up to minimise the risk of, of injuries, future injuries. Because the success of any off-season really stems from staying injury-free. If you can't off-season, you can never get better. If you can never get better, you're just gonna, never going to place better on stage. You're always going to have the the same level of results, aren't you? So I think that's my take on it. I don't think there's a need to have an argument about what's good and what's better you ju- you'll just know like okay trained by JP and his influence is about failure you know Joe and the Physique Collective they're very much RIR and, and they're one camp or the other and I don't think there needs to be I think that as I say is when you're married to a certain way of thinking or you're indoctrined into a certain way of thinking you just you lose sight of what could potentially be beneficial um, for others and as I says, you know, you stop, you stop getting better. But I guess I've rambled probably enough on on this topic. This probably hasn't been the longest episode uh, that I've done. Um, I remember uh, remember saying to my wife the other day, I was like, I don't do the podcast near as much as I used to. But it's simply just because there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of episodes already done. You know, and whenever a, an idea pops in my head, something I've maybe not covered recently or in a while or not covered at all, then I, I jump on the, the podcast straight away. But if there's something that you would like to hear, something you'd like to know, um, I am all ears and I'm all open to, to discussing it, particularly if it's um, something I've not covered. You know, two, you know two, over 200 episodes, there's a lot, of, a lot of content there that I hope you enjoy. You know, as I says, it wasn't long till, till we surpassed the 200 marker. It's pretty crazy um, to know how many how many hours I've probably sat and spoke into this microphone and this laptop with probably no one seeing. Um, 
my wife did ask me about us, oh, you know, why don't you record something and put it on YouTube? And I would say, well, I wouldn't watch myself, but I'd listen. You know, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I need to put stuff on YouTube. But hey, if you want to see any of that, let me know and I'll put it on. But as for myself, what's the plans for the next few months? Well, I mean, some clients are already on prep at the moment. Some clients started prep literally two weeks ago at the start of November for the 2024 season. Um, so for this year, I've, I've had someone on prep every single week of this year, which has been pretty cool. Um, but next year, as I says, the in the first four weeks, there'll be the same amount of people on stage than there has been this whole season for me uh, as a coach. And that is pretty cool to be part of. That is exciting. I'm going to capture it all um, with dedicated productions who will be the new videographer for next year. Uh, and I can't wait. You know, the shows are going to be bigger. It's going to be... Um, the Scottish shows, there's always a great buzz surrounding them. But to have 16 athletes going and spread out across this that first four weeks is mental. Then, of course, you have the, the rest of the year. Um, there should be probably about double the amount of people on stage next year as there was this year. Just that half of them will go in the first four weeks, which is uh, pretty cool. But I've always got space. I'm always... Um, always looking for new clients I, I never get too busy so if you are looking to compete next year whether that be the start of the season or the end please don't hesitate to drop me a dm go on the website check out the free articles listen to more podcasts go on my instagram check out the posts that have clients in them uh, reach out to those clients and ask them what i'm like uh, before inquiring they'll get a good idea of what i'm about but wherever you are in the world i hope you're well and remember that wherever you are whatever you do give it the beans